Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for tuning in for over 160 episodes. I still can't believe how far this show has gone. And in fact, this October, Excelsior Journeys is celebrating its four-year anniversary. I want to thank all of you for tuning in for even just one episode, listening to the amazing conversations that I've had with so many great people. I am... I'm just still absolutely floored that so many people have reached out to be on this show that have accepted my invitations to come on this show. This is just a a one-person show that's being done inside a walk-in closet in my office. And yet it has been just a blessing to be able to talk with so many great creative people, both up and coming and long-time established the people that have inspired me, and the people that I believe will inspire others. This week's episode is a really special one because it is another on-location episode, and it's one that took place over in Spine Bookstore and Cafe. This this store is over on Arsenal Street in St. Louis, Missouri. It's not far, it's just maybe just about a block or two away from Gus's Pretzels, and For all of you who are in the St. Louis area, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend going to Spine, even just sitting down and having a coffee there and chatting it up with one of the different employees that are there. I I just, I want this place to succeed so badly because I believe in the guy behind it, Mark Panabaker. He is someone who has spent so much of his life really focusing on local artists in wherever he is. He always wants to provide a platform for authors, for painters, for graphic artists, for poets, for musicians. He always has different types of events going on at his bookstore. And I believe it is a truly creative place where you can just go in, have some coffee, sit down, have a chat with friends, maybe do like book clubs or something over there, have whatever types of conversations that you can have, just sit down and write whatever, whatever it is and walk around the bookstore that's there because there are so many great local authors. Mark is giving them a chance to have their books seen and discovered by by readers of all ages. And it it means a lot to me to see that someone is stepping up for the indie authors, for the indie artists, because this is how everyone started out. And it's we got here because there are other people that basically gave us a shot. And in Mark's case, gave them some spaces on his bookshelf 
over at his store that invited them in to do a signing. And that's what he wound up doing with me. Earlier this month, I was I was fortunate enough to be at Spine Bookstore. I even took my mother there. And it was actually the day before my birthday. And it was going to be a signing for I had I had copies of Excelsior, I had Ever Upward, I had From Parts Unknown. And what we wound up doing instead, because it just so happened to be the same weekend of Cardinals Yankees, and you know, that pretty much sucks up any sort of momentum that any other event would have. So what Mark did was pretty brilliant. He set up a, a, a camera and allowed me to, you know, grab my microphone and and we did an impromptu interview. He got to interview me. And it was a really fun way to kind of introduce myself to some other readers. And a couple of them just happened to have been walking in and they wound up, you know, they wound up asking some questions afterwards and and they wound up buying copies of the books. So, hey, you know, that's that's a win right there, you know. So it was it was a really it was a really fun event. And so for those of you who have not yet heard any of the stories that come with me, you'll get to hear them here on this episode. And this is my call to action to all of my fellow St. Louis authors. Take some time to support the guy that's supporting all of us. He has your books on his shelf. Go in and have a coffee. Go in and set up a signing or something. Just let, you know, just get people over there because he really deserves it. He's put his he's put himself out there for for us, for us indie authors, for us indie artists. And damn it, we should be doing the same. So this is my call to all of you, for all the St. Louis authors, for the poets out there in St. Louis, for the artists that are out there, for the musicians out there. There is so much great art here in this area, in the St. Louis area. And it's it's amazing. It's a privilege to be a part of that. And it's very rare to get a kind the kind of platform that Mark is providing for us. So please go to go to Spine Bookstore, enjoy it, and by all means, you know, he is he is he is your support system. So tell him thank you for being there for us. I hope that that uh, that you enjoy this interview. I had a lot of fun doing it. It was a real pleasure to sit down with Mark and also go ahead and listen to to one of the earlier episodes from December of 2021 when I got to sit down with Mark when Spine was just opening. So let's give him, let's get him to this one year for Spine and let's keep it going because these guys don't come along very often. Mark is a real supporter of the indie scene Let's go ahead and support him. All right. I'm going to st- step off of my soapbox here until next week. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Enjoy the upcoming conversation. So, welcome to Spine Indie Bookstore and Cafe. My name is Mark Pennebecker. I'm the host and owner of Spine. This is August 5th, Friday night author showcase. Tonight we have a podcast voice, talent, and author, literary author of science fiction, primarily, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. George Saroy. 
Welcome to Swine Bookstore Friday Night Author Showcase. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. So I want to talk to you a little bit or discuss about your podcast for a little bit. Yes. I've, I've checked out several episodes, really professionally done, very well done. I really enjoy it. Thank you. It opens up a whole bunch of different conversations. And, and, and you were, you're at, what, over 150 episodes? Over 150, yep. Yeah. So I just a quick question. So the 100th episode was always a milestone. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yours was kind of unique because you had a chance to, it just coincided with, with, with something you were doing with the Transformers, uh, with the cast of Transformers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, this was something that really kind of started after I had Flynn Dilly on. Flynn Dilly was the, is a, he was a writer for all different types of 1980s animated series. And one of them was Transformers. And he actually wound up being the credited story consultant for Transformers the movie back in 86. And when I had the opportunity to reach out to him and invite him to be on the show, it coincided with the book that he had just released called The Games Master. So he had something to promote. I had a spot that I was offering to him. He was willing to take it. We talked for over two hours. We could have kept on going. Yeah. And it was so much fun getting to talk to him. And he was, he was a terrific guest. And it was during that conversation that's when I realized that the next year was going to be the 35th anniversary of the film, of Transformers the movie. And so I thought that we could, I could dedicate all of August to my show and not only have him back on to talk about specifically the movie, but also to invite voice actors, to invite other people who have been a part of it. Right. And he immediately said, I'm in. Yeah. So it wasn't long after that that's when I had the music composer, Vince DiCola. Mm -hmm. And I only had an hour with him. And the conversation wound up going so well that we got to a point where the hour was almost up, but we hadn't even gotten Transformers the movie. Right. So we had spent... The first quarter talking about his his career getting started. We talked about 15 minutes on being a part of Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. And because he had he was the co-writer of the, the hit song Far From Over. Okay. So he did that with Frank Stallone. Okay. And he also co-wrote about four or five other songs with Frank. And Stallone had originally rejected all of them. But then once far, they got to Far From Over and they got to do that. Not only did that go in, but he went ahead and revisited all the other songs that they had written and decided to put those into the soundtrack as well. So we had, that was the first half hour, and the second half hour was all about Rocky IV. And so, because he had done the music for that. And so, it was just an amazing conversation that we had. And right. I decided right then and there I was going to invite him to come back on in August of 2021 because we could talk about Transformers the movie then. Right. And he was all for it. Yeah. So I knew that I had a spot there. Yeah. At that time, I had also spoken with, with another voice actor, Neil Ross. And he had done, he had voiced two different Constructicons. He had voiced the character Springer, who was created, who was introduced in the movie and wound up being a pivotal character in season three. Yeah. And so he came on and he got to talk about his career and his book that had come out called Vocal Recall, which was, it's an amazing listen. Like, it's something that, it's one of those things, if you if you have a voice actor, if you have a voice actor's book, you get the audiobook because right. you're going to get a real great presentation. And his is just remarkable. 
It's absolutely remarkable. And so we got to talk a lot about that and a lot about his other work. And, and it was just a great experience getting to talk with him. And he was also, just happened to have been one of the most iconic voices in all of 80s television, which right. is the voice of Shipwreck on G.I. Joe. Ah, yeah, right. And so we had to talk a lot about that. And I knew there was going to be some space where I was going to talk about my particular favorite two-part episode there. And right. It was great. It was just a great opportunity. It was, it was a really nice podcast to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot and of fun. You should mention that your podcast is Excelsior. Um, Excelsior Journeys. Journeys. Yes. Yep. And he's got it. Right. So this is something that you can really connect to. I mean, you've been a fan of, of like, that genre. I, I mentioned as a child. We all yeah. are, right? We all enjoy the Saturday Night Cartoons, things like that. Yeah. But you kind of just stuck with it, right? Yeah. And so what was it that just didn't... That just, just want to let it go. It wasn't even a fact that, that I just should have let it go and just decided not to or anything. It was just a constant thing. It was just I didn't feel that sort of pull of just like, oh, maybe I should move on to something else. I always felt that there was room for it. Right. And so there were other things that would wind up taking my attention as well, but they just never went away. Right. Well, and that's what it's all about. It's clearly it's your passion, right? Yeah. And you could have forced yourself maybe to do some other genre, but you would have had it would it wouldn't have been satisfying, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's also, I mean, during that time, like the 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 eighties were a real magical time, really, when it comes to what was what was available to us, because right. during that time, like in, in eighty one, that's when the FCC decided to scale back their restrictions on children's programming. Oh, I didn't know. And that. all of a sudden they allowed for they allowed for much more much more loosely based kind of entertainment that was cleverly disguised as a commercial. Right. Like right. the way that they would do it. And so but basically like what they had to do was they had to basically just come up with these with storylines for these different characters as they were going along. Right. And just really kind of starting from scratch in a lot of things. Like they did that with Masters of the Universe. That started out as a toy line originally, and then it became, well, how are we gonna how are we gonna sell it? Well, it's gonna have a little mini comic book in there. Mm-hmm. Well, like well, kids say like four or five, they don't normally read, most kids. But then it's just like, well, we're gonna also put together an animated series, and that's when Filmation got involved, and all of a sudden they were able to create a brand literally out of nothing. So they had those opportunities back then when they normally didn't have those from the 70s and earlier. And so what's, what was like the driving force for you as far as the, the, the 80s scene? I, I'm, I've always been very plot driven. So it's like very story yeah. driven. So you show, you give me like a good meaty story and I'm, I'm, it's gonna get my attention. Yeah. And so give there's- Give me an example of that. Well, like I mean, basically like here, you know, the, the thing that I always seem to gravitate toward is the hero's journey template. Right, that Campbell put, sure. you know, created. Right, well, the hero, uh, the hero with a thousand faces. So, Star Wars. Is the main thing is Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> right. like my first piece, the first musical memory that I have is hearing the overture for Star Wars when, in theater when my father took us to go see it. Now this was the, yeah, the this was well this was the the first the first re-release. So this was seventy eight. Okay. It wasn't seventy seven. I was too young for that. Right, but in seventy eight. I remember that. And then in December of 78, that's when we all went to see Superman, and the opening credits scared me because they're, they're big. Like, yeah, they're they big are. and they're loud yeah. and they're, and, but at the same time, the first pieces of memory that I really have in terms of music, that's John Williams, it's film music. 
Right. And so that got my attention. And then a couple years later, that's when that's when my parents started getting me Star Wars toys around the time that the Empire Strikes Back had come out. And I was I was definitely getting more and more into it. You collector? I was. Unfortunately, oh. those figures are long gone. But but those were those were those were the days. Those yeah. were. I mean, they probably wouldn't have been worth anything. Yeah, you, you opened them up. Terribly right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Arms were broken. Oh yeah. It, it, well, they were well played. They yeah. were well they're played. They're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. You buy one to keep in a box, and then you buy another one to. Even that, I'm just, I just—I mean, I've never been one to really just kind of say that that a you get a toy just to put it on on a shelf and then that's it. Yeah. I have like a, a a small handful of Transformers toys now from the latest lines, just because they're so good. You don't, yeah. don't want to pass them up. Well, I was going to ask you as an adult, or do you are you do you collect? Oh, yeah, those I, I kind of collect. I have a small collection. Just Transformers, those, though. Mainly just Transformers Why? because like. That it's I'm, it's an opportunity to get the fly. Sorry about that. Oh yeah, sorry. it's an opportunity to get the get the figures that I never got a chance to get later earlier. Right. I had I had a decent amount of transforms. I'm not saying that I ever wanted for anything at all. It was just so your parents it, provided for you. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but you know, like when it it just it, at that time it wasn't really on my radar to get a Megatron. Which would turn into like an actual like Walther P fifty eight. So it's not something that you could really they do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they had. That's what was there. That's a big reason why those those that particular figure would want to be discontinued. Right. Because yeah. it was it was so authentic that the president of Hasbro had to actually transform it in front of TSA to let them know it's like, hey, this is not a real gun. Really. It, it was that authentic looking. Like it really is. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, that was it's it's amazing like this the sort of the sort of details that that went into stuff like that yeah but uh, so a lot of the a lot of the figures that I have now are ones that I never had a chance to get earlier yeah but now it's just like every now and then like I'll go ahead and get one that's that was from that time so one year for Christmas I you know I got a, I got a nice bonus so I treated myself to an Optimus Prime and a Megatron and though I have them, right. yeah. and every now and then, you know, like when I'll get like a quarterly bonus or something, I'll just search on one on one or two. I love it. And your that. daughter touch it, right? It's like she actually does. <laughs> you know, she does touch them. She's careful with them. You yeah. Know? And yeah. and so I got her wrong. So they're, you've opened them up. They're out of the oh, box. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're out they're of the box. Terrible collector. Well, with uh, that, basically, with that, it's something. It's something that I saw back. There was a, a really great documentary that was done about the making of South Park. Uh, it's called Six Days to Air. And oh, I missed that. Terrific documentary. It's real. It's I definitely recommend it. You can see it on Paramount Plus. Okay. But it's it basically takes you through the development of an episode from conception to airing. That's which always fascinating. Takes six yeah. And it's great. But yeah. there's one little little thing that Trey Parker shows, and he's got all these different Lego setups, these different Lego sets all around his office. He's got the Death Star. He's got he's got an Adat Walker. And, all different things. And he says that what, what he does is he puts those together because it helps him with his mind because it's something that he can basically just say, I'm just going to follow these instructions. And it allows his mind to rest a little bit. Right. Because he's the one that's got to write all these right. episodes. Well, I've, I, I've read somewhere that the geniuses uh, sometimes get lost, lost in mundane tasks. Yeah. It frees up their mind. You know, and, and I think uh, Einstein did. Einstein was a patent He was peddling. Yeah, he was a patent clerk. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, no, he, he, he would he would come up with ideas when he was just riding his bike because it was yeah. like this mundane action that allows to, to 
mic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so what I do, I have these different transformers nearby. I have them like I'm right next, right on top of my little mini fridge that's in my office. And so every now and then, if I'm like feeling stuck on something, I'll take, I'll pick up my Galvatron and I'll, I'll transform them to either like a robot or a laser cannon, however, like whatever direction. Now, have you had a time when you when you did that and the, the problem was solved? I wouldn't say the problem is solved, but it takes my mind like off of it for just a little bit. Yeah. And then I put it back and then I'm able to kind of go back into what I need to do. Yeah. It's, um, it's happened before, I, oh, I yeah. assume, a couple oh, of times. Yeah. yeah. It'll, and I'll knock out a page or two, yeah. an extra page or two here and there. But it's a good it's a good way to kind of just kind of distract myself for a few minutes. You don't play any uh, musical instruments? Not instruments, no. Yeah. No. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Marvel, the, the, the comment that uh, one of the Joe who here talked about. I, I missed that episode, so, but it sounds like a really good one. So okay, so, so really quickly, what, um, in, in, this, in 2019, I took part in this thing called uh, the National Podcast Post Month Challenge. And that is where you basically record a 10-minute episode of a show for every day for 30 days in November. And so I decided I wanted to do that. And I wanted to have a theme to it. I wanted to have a running theme. And I was looking at all the different Marvel movies that had come out that were that came out before, during, and after the start of the MCU, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was thinking that, wow, all these different movies that they're really kind of discarding right now because all the attention is being given to the MCU. If it weren't for those other movies, the MCU wouldn't exist. These movies really kind of paved the road for that. Right. And so I wanted to come up with a show that was going to honor that. So originally the show was going to be called Outside the Marvel Studios. And I pitched it to a friend of mine from college, and he was a big comic book aficionado. And I said, I'm going to go from 1986's Howard the Duck to 2019's Dark Phoenix. We're going to go from Duck Till Dark. And he goes, there's your title. <laughs> and so it became From Duck Till Dark outside the Marvel Studios. And I had a lot that's of fun great. doing that. Yeah, that's great. And then in 2021, I had the opportunity to kind of redo them because originally I recorded them on Anchor. And the Anchor app is not very good. Right. It's, it, it's just the quality is not there. The quality of the show itself, like it, it, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed recording it and everything. But the audio quality just wasn't there. So I wanted to redo it. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to have an intro and outro. I wanted to bring a little bit extra of my perspective into each episode. One of them for about 35 episodes. I wanted to be in a lot of fun doing it. And it was great to kind of revisit that. And it was, um, it was around the time, like early of 2022, that's when we got word in the St. Louis Writers Guild that Fan Which you were president of for a while. I, I was president of the Missouri Writers Club. Missouri Writers Club. The state yes. one, yes. uh, which Warren Martin is currently president of now and is doing a fantastic job. And so did you. Oh, thank you. I was, was a member of back then. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was, uh, that was a good time. It was <laughs> a very interesting year, like 2017, being president, getting uh, trying to get the, the 2017 conference fully paid for, and having a kid, at, right. and planning the 2018 conference. It was it was busy. Yeah. It was slightly busy, yeah, yeah. So, but around the time of early 2022, that's when we got word that Fan Expo SDL was looking for I was looking for different people, different panels, and different ideas for their for their programming. And so, I offered my services not only as as a moderator because I have the podcast experience, 
But I also had a couple of ideas for different presentations that I could give. And one of them was kind of a look at almost like a State of the Union address, looking at both the MCU and the DCEU, the DC Extended Universe, and seeing like what would, what, what, what do people think of how they've been going so far? So they've been going for quite a while. We had already just had the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League. So it, that had gotten a lot of, a lot of well-deserved, I think, attention, because I thought that was a vast improvement over the 2017 one. But the, it wound up being a whole lot of fun doing that. And what I did not expect was the kind of turnout that it had, because the coordinator, Bruce McIntosh, terrific guy, by the way, he, was, he said that sort of presentation was exactly what he was looking for right. for Fan Expo. Right. And so... Perfect fit. Yeah, we want to be in a great fit. And as I'm getting myself set up, I'm getting my microphones ready because I was, I was given the green light for everything that I was doing to record. So I wound up getting over a month's worth of material for the podcast, and it was fantastic. Uh, I had some great interviews and everything, but the, getting that set up for the MCU versus DCEU, I'm getting all set up, and I'm seeing like more and more people walking in and sitting down and they're chatting, and it's like there's this energy that's like that's building, and all of a sudden, more than half of the room is filled. Right. I'm just like, you're still setting really? up, and I'm still I'm setting not, up. Not, yeah, exactly. Not. I'm just like, this is gonna be that's interesting. Be a good okay. Deal. But yeah, and then Crush it. yeah, but then the as it started, I was talking, just giving a little bit of history, kind of looking back at the at how everything got started and how different things were, were starting to come together. And one of the things that I mentioned was DC's first attempt to get things going as a shared universe, the 2011's Green Lantern. And as soon as I mentioned that, there wound up being like a, a, like a ripple of laughter. Oh. And then all, and because everyone knew that that wound up being a disappointment. Right. And I was just like, I was like, keep in mind they tried, they tried. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, that got a bigger laugh. <laughs> and then it just became like, okay, all right, I can, I, I I can do, do this. this. Exactly, yeah. I can do this. And then as we're going in and everything, and I just started talking a little bit more about it, it got this sort of feeling, just like, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I can do. What you do, and when you're genuine, they get it. They yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, and I got to tell the whole story of, of how, how my wife and I and our, and our friend got to go see the opening night of Iron Man at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York City yeah. and, and to a packed theater right. and, and how, like how great of a time it was. And then just right when the credits started, we noticed people were getting up and leaving. And I had found out earlier that there was going to be another scene at the end, but I didn't know what it was. So I just turned around and I just went, there's another scene. <laughs> and and thankfully, a good amount of people sat down and yeah. they wound up seeing the appearance of first appearance of Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. All right. Saying, right. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. And the applause right. that broke out, right. it was just like, oh, we got something going on here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just... It just you just feel like that sort of momentum build, and then getting to talk about the first Avengers movie and getting to talk about Captain America: The Winter Soldier, which to me was like the that's the gold standard of the yes. MCU. That that yeah. 
I, I hold that one. That I put that in my top three of any comic book film ever made. Like, I really? absolutely adore that movie. Well, um, I have to ask quickly why. What? What? what it, because because what? It was the plot. Was it was story. first yeah. of all. It was it was the plot, and it was also just a very, very much a 1970s paranoia thriller uh, that had yeah. a comic book film that was kind of that, had, it, that right? had the wrapping. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was like the, comic, the fact that it was a comic book film was the wrapping. Right. And you open up, you, you get, take some time and, and sit down and see what it is. Yeah. And it's it's right up there with the Dark Knight. Right. It shows you what a comic book film yeah. can be. I, yeah, they've come a, 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 a long way. Yes. I mean, it's 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 phenomenal how how the modern writers and and filmmakers have un, understood what yeah. they can do with this genre. Right. And and it's. it's the sky's the limit. And you know, like Joe and Anthony Russo, those those guys who directed Captain America the Winter Soldier, they wound up getting the keys to the kingdom, really. Yeah. Because they wound up getting to direct Captain America Civil War, right. which was phenomenal. And then all of a sudden they got to do Avengers Infinity War. And then they topped themselves with Avengers Endgame, which is which became the highest grossing film mm-hmm. ever made. I didn't know that. Worldwide. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It it, so, it beat Avatar. So, yeah, and rightfully so. All right, so obviously you're a fan of the genre and you've been there yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And your podcast, Tell Your Journeys, is 158 episodes? So this, this week it'll be 158. 158. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something coming up that you're really excited about? There are some things. Actually, yes. In November, I'm actually going to be hosting for a few weeks. I'm going to be hosting different people that are going to be involved in the... The audio dramatization of Excelsior. Of oh, that's exciting! Right. That's going to be that's going to be performed on Clubhouse. How many Clubhouse. people are involved? There's a good amount of people actually. Yep. Like the, I'm, I've already gotten the producers of it, Bob Daniel and uh, Bob and Deborah. They're both going to be coming on, and they're they're excited. That's exciting. On. I'm excited. And they're going to have whoever the news composer that comes on. They're obviously a guest, and. I'm going to have different uh, cast members once they're cast. They're going to be on as well. Right. The whole thing is just going to be—it's going to be mind-blowing. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Because That's I get to—I get to actually like speak with someone who is going to be the first person other than myself to bring voice to these characters. Well, that segues nicely into the next thing I wanted to talk about, and yeah. that's your voice talent, right? Yes. And so now, are you going to be? Do you read at all? I do. Yeah, I'm an audiobook narrator as well. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. No, I mean about with, with your series, though. Are oh, you going to read something? Oh, with the. Are you oh, with the characters? Oh, oh no, no. I'm. I no. might. I might be like a do like a cameo. Yeah. I know I'll be doing. Right. I know I'll be reading the intro. Okay. Um, good. Yeah. Right. I will be doing that. But for this, I really so, want to see like what other conversations. Somebody else brings to it. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, want to. Yeah. I want to hear their take. So obviously, you're not narrating it yourself. No. But I already did. I already did. You did. I, already did right. I did the audiobook narration already for books right. one and two. Yeah. And, and that was your, your first yeah. attempt, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. That was that was back during the time that, that I had my book Excelsior with a with a uh, local press, Rocky Horse Publishing. Rocky Horse. Yep. And they were it was great to be involved with them. I was I'm still very grateful for the opportunity that mm-hmm. they gave me. And it was not long after, like at the beginning of 2016, not long after I did my, took my voice lessons and recorded the demo, and I started to think about, you know, like, what do I do next? Right. Because I had just started a new job, and 
that had to take precedence over everything because that was the full-time income. Sure. I got a mortgage to pay, so that had to go there. And so, but I really wanted to get into voice acting in some way. And so, what was about I just I've always loved it. I've always loved it ever since I was a kid. You got a good voice. Thank you. And it's being just doing radio and hearing those voices that that entertained me for my whole life. So looking back now, how do you feel about the job you did there, Wade? I think I did well. Yeah, I think I did well because that first one. It's it's not the version that's out there right now because because the version that's out there right now is the one from 2017 when the book got picked up by a different publisher and I had to do another round of editing. Oh, uh, so basically made that 2013 version obsolete. Right. So I had to redo that whole thing. Now I recall, I think this is my imagination. Yeah. But you you did some of that live, didn't you? Like the, the, the original recording of or narration of not the original recording. Not the recording. I have read live. Because I thought for some reason I, I, I caught some show where you were correcting yourself and you were and you were doing you were you were narrating live. But no. That may have been I did a show in two thousand eighteen called the Sample Chapter Podcast. And that is a that is a great show. Highly recommend it. And the, the host, Jason Muska, he always has his guests read an excerpt from their book. Oh, okay. And so that might have been it. Maybe that was it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, when, I, when I pitched the idea of narrating it to my publisher, she asked to, to listen to a sample. So I recorded sure. chapter one. And this was the most primitive setup that you can imagine because I basically took my blue snowball ice microphone I have my, yeah, my USB, only 50 bucks, and I set, set it up inside this little like felt box with a mattress foam lining, and stacked, took my TV tray, stacked yearbooks on top of that, and then put the, my little box on, on there with a long cord that goes all the way over to my computer across the room, and then sat at the, front, at the edge of my couch in my, in my office That's at the time. Funny. And my back was killing me. Right. <laughs> at the same that was time, a long chapter. It was a long <laughs> chapter, but at the same time, I got it done. Yeah. And I edited it, and I sent it over to my publisher, and she was just like, "Do it. Right Go on. for the rest." Right and I spent about a month recording the first book, and then another month editing. And I realized just how tedious editing is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <It's awful>. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's the, the latest uh, book you've narrated? Latest book I'm actually narrating. It's a sixth book that I'm doing for Ronald R. Van Stockham Jr., Reggie Van Stockham. This book is called Exordial, and Reggie has an he's got an amazing imagination. He's someone that I truly envy when it comes to his production because he's constantly churning these books out, and every single one of them, you can say wholeheartedly, I've never read anything like this before. His world building and his Attention to detail is magnificent, and it's it's very it's very dense. There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into each thing, whether it's the short story that I did to start off with, or now I'm doing this is my fourth novel that I'm doing for. Him. Yeah. I've done short story first, then a novella. The first short story was called Hedge Apple, and then the the novella was called Return to Mars, and then. The first novel was called Cosmos, and then there was one called Markman's Home, and then Markman's Cave, and now Exorbitant. 
and it's been a it's been a blast working yeah. with him because he's someone he's someone who really subscribes to the way that I do narration right. because have that connection is important. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to have that. Yeah. And I I like to I, I, when it comes to when it comes to doing the narration for me I am very like energy driven. So if I'm listening to if I'm listening to an audiobook and the narrator is really slow with their delivery, I'm just like, get on with it. <laughs> so I need I need that sort of energy. Yeah, and so I bring that to everything that I narrate. And he really took to that. When he heard that first short story that I did, he was just like It had the energy. It had the energy that I'm looking for. And yep. he was really into it, and yep. he really appreciated the fact that there are quite a few words that are in this, that are in his short story, scientific names for different creatures and different fruits and different animals. Uh, uh, you do? I did so much research on that, and I was just like, because I had to not only get it, but I had to say it as if I knew it all right. along. Yeah, you could stumble halfway through. Right. It. right. I couldn't just say like, uh, like there's a, there's a, there's a moment in Big Bang Theory. Where Penny's telling a joke, and all of a sudden she just goes, and quantum mechanics, and just like the way that she said it, it's perfect for that, right. but at the same time, it's just like, I cannot do that, do that for this. Yeah. I just have to say, it like, oh, it's out. this, and then <laughs> just let it out, and that was, that, was my, yeah. that was my attempt to really kind of get it right, and he appreciated that, yeah. and so that became a really good way of us really becoming partners. On this, I also have to say, Reggie, you have the patience of a saint because I have been like working on the first thirty chapters of Exordial at the same time that I was writing the audio drama for Excelsior and dealing with the full time job and everything and, and being the husband and father. And so, thank you, Reggie. yes, thank you, Reggie, for your patience. And he understands that. He's just like, yeah. I just want it to be good. Yeah. I just want the energy there, and I just want you to focus on that. He's like, I will do that. So you mentioned world building. So this is this is, we can move into your writing yes. if you'd like. And yeah. so your world building, where do you start it, it, with the writing process? How do, you, how do you create your universe? I am really story driven. Mm-hmm. I there are certain things that really kind of get get to my attention. It was just like what it. Although in terms of, in terms of Excelsior, it really kind of started with a single character because with that it was basically just taking what was what was inspiring me at that moment and just saying that I want to have like this type of character and then it became well what's his origin story and then it was just like all right well let's really get into that let's let's have some fun with that and that's something that really gets me it's the mythology of that right and when I was a hero's journey kind of thing yeah 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 so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for like one of those things where it's like um, legend says yeah right and then it's just like ooh what is legend say? yeah right. <laughs> jump right into it right <laughs> and so like like one of the one of the most wonderfully cinematic things you'll ever see is the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. because that was it was all right there right. the way that it, that it the legend tells that that story of the legend of the ring like it, it's beautiful the way that it's done yeah and and it's and it's a very it's a very fine line. That you that uh, you that you have to cross by so, doing that. Yeah, because like if it's if it goes one way, you have something like the Fellowship of the Ring opening. But if you go the other way, then you have the opening of the extended edition of David Lynch's Dune, which is basically just like 
telling the whole the whole opening story in yeah. like ten yeah. minutes, and it's just like with these oil paintings and everything, so that's all they had to work with. It was just like right. you can get on with the story now. Right. And, right. Yeah. I had to think about it because it's been a while since I since I saw that. Yeah. 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 So it's 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 one of those things. Like when I was when I was working on the second book, um, Ever Upward, I had this prologue all set up, and it was going into this legend, this this uh, this moment in my character's history where where that's being what talked about. Tell us what the legend is. Well, the, I mean, the, the legend itself, the, the, um, the story of Excelsior really kind of goes back to the beginning of the universe. Yeah, it's always a good place to start. And that was something that, that it was something that I had thought about a lot, but I didn't really know like exactly how it was going to come out until, and this is where Transformers comes back into it, because... Okay. When I was in fifth grade, Flynn Dilly had written the five-parter to open up season three called Five Faces of Darkness. And part four wound up being the most influential piece of my existence, really, because it had a moment where the new leader, Rodimus Prime, short-circuits himself. He enters the matrix of leadership, and he is told the history of the Transformers by previous leaders. And it's really fascinating the way that it, that it unfolds. So I wanted to have a moment like that, where my character, Excelsior, was damaged and wounded in some way, and would basically wind up being kind of like teleported inside himself, where he would learn who he really is. And that's what, and that's what unfolded. So it has that in the second book, where you don't he have basically shows... No, it's not in the first one. Right. Yeah. The first one, it, it just focuses on this young man, Matthew Peters. How could you not have that in the first book? Because I mean, I I mean, that's, that, well, that's, I want to make it worth it. I yeah. want to make it worth the wait. Yeah. And considering the fact that I, that, that I, I love the first book. I will, I will always love the first one. But the second one to me, it's a little bit better. And it's because yeah. of those, the digging deeper into right. mythology. Right. Right. And so the first book just focuses on Matthew Peters, who's been writing and drawing this webcomic about a character named Excelsior, who is from another planet. And he gets visited by a woman who tells him she's from that planet that he's been writing and drawing about. And all of those stories that he's been writing and drawing are Excelsior's memories. And he's next in line to become him. And he has to do it fast because his enemies are growing in power on both planets. So it's a timeline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so... This was so the first one was basically it was my own little hero's journey, and some people have said like, "Oh, this this is so cliched." It's like it's based on the hero's journey template. Of course, it's cliched. Yeah. In the the simple it's thing is like the simple thing is like, did you enjoy the ride? And thankfully, the the people that have read it have enjoyed the ride much so, more than people that did. Speaking of the hero's journey, how did Excelsior lose his parents? Well, it's Matthew. Well, yeah, it is. And, yeah, because Matthew has been has been living for the past several years with his uncle Jason, and the real tragedy of that is the fact that Jason is a recovering alcoholic, and when he, when Jason's brother, Matthew's father, and his wife, one night they went to visit Jason in rehab, and on their way back they got into a car accident and were killed. So. If Jason didn't, if Jason had his his act together, if he was not this addict, then they would have still been alive. Right. And so Jason's got to carry that burden with him. Right. And Matthew is not afraid to let him know that from time to time. Right. 
And at, at one point, when he starts to kind of realize the stakes that are there, that's when Jason really kind of gives in at one point. And that's, and oh, Matthew's pissed, you know, to, yeah. put it, to put it mildly. Yeah, and so, so yeah. Do you, uh, are you going to read an excerpt from the second book? Yes. Okay, excellent. We're, yeah. we're going to have you do that in just one second. So I wanted to ask you a question that you ask everybody on your podcast about the lightning bolt yes. moment, right? The lightning bolt moment, yep. yeah. So with Excelsior. Yes. What was what the lightning bolt? Okay, yeah. so really it goes back to when I was in grade school. So we explain the lightning bolt moment? or is that Yeah, well, what, I, yeah what I said, what I, what I always ask on the show is I ask my guests, about what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in life where you experience something, you hear something, you read something, you meet someone or something, and it gives you that impetus to say, that's what I wanna do, that's the kind of life I wanna live, that's the kind of person I wanna be. And so I always ask that at the beginning. And I always get just terrific answers. And it allows them to really kind of share their story in a way that no one else can. And so it becomes this really, it's become just like this really great thing. And so my lightning bolt moment goes back to grade school when I was in fourth grade and my friends and I would start writing and drawing these characters just to kind of pass the time in between assignments. And we had this little universe going. And as time went on, I just kind of like added a little bit more detail, a little bit more detail to them. And they started off very rudimentary. They were just like, there were blocks on top of blocks. Like it was, it, it was, it was tragic. <laughs> but there was something there. Right. And I knew there was something there, but it wasn't there at the beginning. It was just like, there's gotta be something so, here. And I, when my family and I moved from New York to Richmond, Virginia, we start, I kept those characters and I just kept on working with them. And then in 10th grade, I was thinking about wanting to, bring in a new character into that little universe. I had worked with those characters for a while, but nothing was really happening with them. And so I needed someone new. And then that was when my English teacher showed us the 1981 John Borman movie, Excalibur. And it was such a game changer for me. I, and thankfully it was the PG version that they showed. <laughs> they, they asked for it. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit. Like I didn't realize just how, like, how how deep that was getting until until I got my own copy of it. But it was, as I was watching it, I was just like, I need someone like that. I need someone like Arthur. So this character, he is, and then just started adding a little bit more elements to it. It's like, this man is a god of human form. He is, he's, he's basically going to be like the centerpiece of this universe. He's got to have a sword. And originally it was modeled after Excalibur. He's sure. going to have its own lineage. But then in 2013, when... Excelsior was going to be re-released by Rocky Ghost Publishing. It's originally was self-published. That's when I realized it was like, but that could just be Excalibur. Because we know Excalibur during its time with Arthur, but we don't know where it came from and we don't know what happens next. Right. So I brought that in. Excellent. And so Excellent. that all of a sudden added a little extra element to, to the copyright. No, it's, I mean, it is what it is. And there are a lot of other other books that have their own take on Excalibur. Yeah, so sure, sure. why not? You know? Yeah. So yeah, but yours is actually really Excalibur. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, but so I was thinking about you know like wanting to come up with this character, trying to figure out what he was going to be like, and the word Excelsior popped in my head, and I always responded to that word. Because, first of all, it's on the New York State flag. There's that. 
there is Stan, Stan Lee always ending Stan's soapbox with Excelsior. And then you have the Starship Excelsior in Star Trek 3, 4, and 6. Right, and right. so that word was always kind of around. Yeah. And I was just like, Excelsior, that sounds, that sounds like a great, great name for this character. And so I decided that was what he was going to be. Right. And then I just kind of picked at him for over 15 years. And then in 2008, oh. then in 2008, I decided this was going to be the time that I was going to actually write the origin story. Because I came across Chris Beatty's book, No Plot, No Problem, which introduces, which introduced me to National Novel Writing. Yeah. And so I read that. I started reading like the first part of that, and I got so excited just hearing him just like talking about how it started and what, how to do it. And I was just like, oh, this sounds great. I can definitely do this. All it needs is just five pages, double spaced, and every day for, for a full month. I can pull this off. And then I saw, like, okay, day one, let's start it. And that's when I closed the book. I'm just like, I'm going to do it, just can't do it right now. And it's got to be a different month other than November. And I picked June, June of 2008. And so in March of 2008, Stan Lee was at Borders over in New York City. And he was signing copies of this Election Days book. Back when he was, years back in the 60s, he had done this book called You Don't Say, where he would take all these different pictures and he would add dialogue balloons to them, like actual pictures. And so he had a lot of fun doing those. And so he did those again for the 2008 election. And so he had this whole book called Election Days, D-A-Z-E, and he was signing copies of that. So I was like, I'm going to be there for that. And so I I come up there and I go up to to meet him. And I tell him, I said, Stan, I just want to thank you because not only have you inspired, not only for all the characters you you created, but for inspiring me to create my own. And he goes, oh, great, more competition. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got to tell him, and with a big laugh and everything, and and then I say, say to him that one character in particular was directly inspired by him. He's like, what do you mean? And I leaned in closer and just went, his name is Excelsior. And the yeah. smile that came across his right. face, he just, oh, that's great! And <laughs> shook my hand and wished me luck on it and everything. I'll never get a blessing from the Pope. That was enough. Yeah. So that was that was a that was a great moment. That was when I knew that like I'm going to do this. And I never got a chance to actually send him a copy of it, unfortunately, because he's since passed. Yeah. But but it would have been great to do it. Yeah. But getting his blessing with that, yeah. that was yeah. that was all I needed. Yeah, yeah. right there was all you needed. It was like yeah. I am doing this. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and back out of here and let you read an excerpt. Yeah. And also, if it, we'll take a Q and A if you want to. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, just give me one second to kind of get out of here. To sure. Do as gracefully as I can. Oh yeah. But uh, thank you very much. And so, George, take away. The stage is all yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I decided to read a segment from part two, Ever Upward, part two in the Excelsior Journey. And what I wanted to do with this, I wanted to talk about one specific time where my main character, Matthew Peters, he had already achieved his destiny, he had become Excelsior, but his own actions as Excelsior unfortunately wound up accelerating the atmosphere of this new, of this new planet that he's now called home and basically just kind of doomed everyone on this planet to an early death. And so, 
this is where he is basically talking with, uh, he's confiding in, in a friend of his who is also from this planet, DNAP4. He is a Denarian, his name is Erebus. And the two of them are, are sitting down, and this is where we start. Excelsior sat on the ground beside his friend and let it all out. Aceris is rapid aging, the elders lashing out at him. Lacris determining the cause of the atmospheric shift, the task ahead of him. And worse than anything else, the look of disdain Arena gave when the truth came out. Zeribus listened as each problem spilled from Excelsior's mouth, and the silence after Dinam Poor Savior finished hung in the air for almost a full moment. Zeribus shut his eyes, then looked at his friend and said, I do not blame you. What? You heard me, Zeribus said. I do not blame you at all for this. You wanted to keep some form of communication with your family. If I had the option, if Adera had not taken it from me, I would have done the same thing. For only a moment, Excelsior could hear the same bitterness in Zeribus' voice during Adera's earliest attack. Excelsior smiled and sighed in relief. He literally felt the weight of the world on his shoulders all night, and it seemed like someone was finally on his side. But he still needed to ask, would you have done it even if you knew you'd be condemning everyone on your new home planet? Zeribus held up his hand. Wait. You did not know this would happen. Whatever the elders said, whatever Arena said, does not matter. You were in a situation where you had to react and consider the man who took care of you after your parents died. It does not mean you would have acted the same way if you were aware of the circumstances. Excelsior gritted his teeth with anxiety without giving any kind of response. Maddie? Cerebus asked, his voice now carrying a trace of worry. Am I correct in assuming you would not have acted the same way if you were aware of his circumstances? You're basically asking me, a denarian in a human body, to choose between Earth and DNAP4. Let everyone here die or never see my family again. Maddie, forgive me for saying this, but your hesitation disappoints me. Wait a minute, Excelsior said. You said you didn't blame me for wanting to maintain a communication with my uncle. And now, because I'm taking my time considering a hypothetical question, I'm suddenly not worthy to be Excelsior? Did I not say... Did I say you were not worthy? Zerebus demanded, his voice rising. Quite the contrary. I knew you were occupied when Hadera's soldiers attacked. But Denarians across, from across the planet witnessed you showing mercy to Crunations. They've never seen that before, and they were impressed with your actions. Whether you like it or not, you are worthy of being Excelsior, of leading DNAP4 to a greater age. We expect you to do what is necessary to solve this problem, because many of us look forward to a time when Denarians and Crunations can live together in peace. I am. Believe me, I am. I already know what needs to be done, and I swear it's going to happen, but answer this for me. Yes? Say I pull it off. Say Jason gives back the power I gave him, I return here and everything is okay again. What happens next? You say I'm supposed to lead DNAP4 into a new age. How can I when I don't even know the basic do's and don'ts of this job? Zariba shook his head. Matthew, stop. The more you think this way, the more you will convince yourself the sword made a mistake by choosing you. You must put an end to that right now. The sword does not make mistakes. You have already done what your predecessors could not, and you have the trust of your people. I had their trust, Excelsior countered. 
From what I saw earlier tonight, the elders have no problem letting them know what I did. What do I have to do to make you see things as they are instead of how your fear tells you they will be? What do you wish me to say? You are a failure as Excelsior? You have doomed us all to an early death and should be cast out? I will not do that. It accomplishes nothing, and neither does this conversation. No matter what you may think, you are the savior of DNAP 4. Act like it. The last few words hung in the air for a long moment. Then Zareba said in a much calmer tone, Matthew, you had what it took to hold that sword. You need to convince yourself you have what it takes to keep it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.